You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of John. Here's Nate. Well, John chapter 11 is a bit of a turning point or a hinge in the book, the Gospel of John. And the reason for it is very simple. In this chapter, Jesus is going to work the greatest miracle that he has ever performed to date. Obviously, his own personal resurrection is yet future. But here in John chapter 11, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the grave. Now, we know from the other Gospels that Jesus raised other people from the dead. Jairus' daughter, a little girl who was 12 years old, she had recently died, was still actually in her own bed, in her own home, had just recently died when Jesus declared she is not dead but sleeping, went into the room alone with Peter, James, and John and her parents, grabbed her by the hand and said, little girl, arise. And she rose from the dead and he said, give her something to eat. We know also that one day Jesus in the village of Nain was there and saw a funeral procession and a weeping widow mother weeping over her son who had died. And he was on the way to the grave to be buried. And Jesus spoke to the body and the young man arose from the dead. But here in John chapter 11, the miracle of resurrection is taken a step further in the sense that you have a man who is full grown in Lazarus, who is fully dead and goes through the entire burial process and is in the tomb for a period of four days before Jesus resurrects him. And so it's a pinnacle miracle. Now the timing of this miracle couldn't be more perfect. Because the Jews have already at this point rejected Jesus in many ways, but in one sense in a threefold way. You might remember that it tells us in John chapter 5 that they sought to kill Jesus because he claimed to work on the Sabbath because his father was working on the Sabbath. In John chapter 8, they sought to kill Jesus again because he said before Abraham was, I am a clear statement of divinity. And then in John chapter 10, they sought to kill Jesus again, picking up stones to stone him because he said, I and the Father are one. And so these statements of deity, these statements of divinity, these statements of unity with the heavenly Father were getting Jesus into serious trouble. But there was a threefold rejection now of Jesus. And so when we get to John chapter 11, what we're seeing here is that he's going to give a deep evidence of who he says he is. He's been making all of these claims, walking around with the people understanding that he's claiming to be God. This is why they keep picking up rocks to stone him. But after making this claim, Jesus is now going to work an incredible miracle such as no one has ever performed in order to demonstrate that he truly is the one that he claims to be. Now it says in verse 1 of John 11, A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother 
Lazarus was ill. And so immediately we pick up this story with this group of siblings. You have Lazarus, the brother, and you have Mary and Martha, the sisters. And Lazarus is ill there in Bethany, the city of Bethany, a couple miles away from Jerusalem. And Mary is mentioned in verse 2 as the one who John records who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. And this is actually something John is going to write about in John chapter 12. But from his vantage point as he wrote these things, she was already a famous person within the church. And people would have known of this wonderful work that she did, which we will study in John chapter 12 of anointing Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And so in verse 3 it says, So the sisters sent for him, sent for Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I just love the understanding that they had that Jesus was close with and loved Lazarus. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. As I've mentioned already, Jesus has gone throughout Israel, and especially here near Jerusalem and in Jerusalem, has made these marvelous claims to be the light of the world, to be the good shepherd, to be one with the Father. Before Abraham was, I am. I'm working on the Sabbath because... God works on the Sabbath. That's what we do. That's what I do. I am one with the Father. And making these bold claims has gotten him into serious controversy. And now here with this miracle, Jesus says, listen, I'm glad for this sickness. It does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In other words, there is going to be great proof and evidence of who he is through this sickness somehow in some way. Now, of course, we know it will be through Lazarus's resurrection, but John is telling the story. Now, in verse 5, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. He loved Martha. He loved Mary, and he loved Lazarus. So, in response, because of this love, verse 6, so, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. <laughs> now, I don't know if that set of verses strikes you as slightly odd. It says in verse 5 that he loved them. He loved Lazarus, loved Martha, loved Mary. So, verse 6, in response, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Because of his deep love for them, he did not go to Lazarus, but remain in the place where he was. We'll see why in a moment. Then, verse 7, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Now, Judea is where Bethany, the village that Lazarus is in, Judea is also the place where Jerusalem is located. And so the disciples, verse 8, said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. We saw this in chapter 10. They were seeking to kill Jesus. And they say, are you going there again? In other words, this is dangerous, Lord. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles 
because the light is not in him. Now, Jesus had said something very similar to this in John chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. Right before he took the man who had been born blind and healed him of his blindness. Right before that moment, Jesus made a very similar declaration. You know, there's a day that I have to live in. And there's a night that is coming. And so I must do the works that the Father has told me to do while it is still day. And really the emphasis that Jesus is placing upon this statement, that really the thing that Jesus is trying to say is simply, I have a day and I have a night. He was very conscious of his coming death. And so he's saying, listen, I, I've got to, well, it's still my day, go do the things a father has told me to do. He was very conscious of the will of the father. And so when it comes to danger in Jerusalem, Jesus is saying, listen, there's a certain amount of time that I'm called to do works here on earth, and there will be a night that comes. I will die. Now, after saying these things, verse 11, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken, verse 13, of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. So Jesus speaks to them and says, hey, guys, you know, our friend Lazarus, he's asleep. I need to go and awaken him. And uh, he had used similar language with the little girl that had died. He said, she's not dead. She is only sleeping. It's not that Jesus was confused on whether she had really died or was only asleep, but that was the terminology that he used. She's only sleeping. And so the disciples, you know, in one sense, could have discerned what was happening here. Okay, Lazarus is sick. He's now asleep. If Jesus is saying he must awaken him, he must be speaking about something more than just sleep, but actual physical death. But they don't really get it, and so they try to give Jesus a little bit of medical advice by saying, well, Lord, you know, just a tip, if he sleeps, he will get well. You shouldn't wake him up. But it says in verse 14 that Jesus told them plainly then, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. In other words, Jesus tells his disciples, guys, he's not really just asleep. His sleep is of the death variety. And I must go and awaken him. And I am glad that I was not there to keep him healthy and to heal his sickness. I'm glad that I'm going to raise him from the dead because your faith and belief is going to be made more firm as a result of this miracle. And therein we see part of the reason why Jesus, when he heard of Lazarus's illness, even though he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, he chose to stay in the place where he was for two more days. Now when we do the math of it in verse 17, we see that Lazarus is, has been in the grave for four days by the time Jesus has arrived. It actually appears that by the time the messenger got to Jesus, Lazarus had already, back in Bethany, died. By the time Jesus even heard word, Lazarus was already dead. And so this postponement of Jesus in going back to Bethany was by design. And, he, and here was the design. The design was to deepen the faith of the disciples to deepen the faith of the disciples. 
you know, he was wanting to do this work inside of their lives that would ground them and found them and deepen their faith. You know, the thing about the Lord is that he was able to look into the distant future and see what these disciples were going to have to endure. He saw the persecution that would come upon them in the book of Acts. He saw the great violence from the Jewish authorities and from Rome itself. He saw the difficulty that they were about to go through. And he knew that in order to go through that kind of difficulty, their faith would need to be incredibly deep. There needed to be a rock-solid foundation underneath them in order to be able to stand in that day of trial. And so Jesus was behind the scenes using this illness of Lazarus in order to deepen the faith of all of his disciples, of all of his followers. And I just love this because, you know, obviously when Martha and Mary sent for Jesus, in their mind, they're wanting Jesus to come and heal their brother Lazarus. That's a very simple request. And I think in one sense in their minds, they were probably thinking to themselves, this would be the best thing. Why wouldn't the Lord want to do this? But I've just found in life that there are times where the Lord is busy, steadily, working behind the scenes, doing things that I cannot see, that I do not understand, for the greater and the greatest good inside of my life. As of course it says in Romans 8 verse 28, that God for his children, for his people, uses all things together for good. Even if we can't see it in this life, what we understand is God uses every trial and difficulty and piece of evil even in this world that occurs within and around and upon our lives. He uses it for his good in the sense that he is glorifying us and turning us into the image of his son. And so sometimes when we offer our prayers to the Lord, he has a completely different answer in response to our prayers because he is working for his purposes and his glory inside of our lives. And so he's deepening the faith of his disciples here. Now, Thomas, verse 16, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. They really didn't know exactly what was occurring here, but Thomas stops for a moment and, and realizes this is an ominous time. You know, Jesus is talking about Lazarus and death, and he's going back to Judea, which is very dangerous for him. And so Thomas says, hey, let's all go and let's die with him. And I, I love this boldness from Thomas. We unfortunately refer to him quite often as doubting Thomas because he wanted to see evidence of Jesus's resurrection after he rose from the grave. He wanted to touch the wounds in his hand and in his side. However, here at this moment, he's very brave and he says, let's all go that we may die with Jesus. Now, when Jesus came, verse 17, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And as I mentioned, this means that Lazarus was likely already dead when the messengers came. And so Bethany, verse 18, was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And so we're starting to set our gaze upon Jerusalem as we get nearer to the cross. And many of the Jews, verse 19, had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. 
So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And so Martha rushes out to Jesus first. Mary will have an appointment with him in just a few moments. And Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, when we read that line from perhaps our perspective here, you know, a couple thousand years later almost, when we read those words from Martha, first of all, it looks like she's rebuking Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But as I've mentioned, Lazarus was more than likely dead by the time the messengers even got there and would have been dead by the time Jesus had actually had time to travel to Bethany to be there. It doesn't seem actually that she is giving some kind of accusation against Christ, but just a mere profession of faith. Look, I know, Lord, that had you happened to be here around the time of his illness, he would have been alive. I've seen you do these kinds of things before. It was a profession of faith in one sense. But then when she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you, it almost sounds like what she's saying then is, listen, he's in the grave, and if you go over there to that tomb, I know that even now you could raise him from the grave. But in a, just a, in the next line, Jesus said to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And so it doesn't really appear that Martha is anticipating a resurrection here and now for her brother Lazarus. I think all she's trying to say to Jesus is, look, you still have power from God. I'm not trying to say that that has been diminished. I'm not trying to say that your power is small in any sense. It is big. You needed to be here in order for him to be healed, but you couldn't be here. So I understand, but you still do have some semblance of power. It's as if she understands there is this future resurrection and Jesus's power here and now is good, but it is not of the resurrection variety. And Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, this is a marvelous statement from Jesus. He tells Martha, he says, Listen, I know that you're professing a future resurrection, but here's what I want you to see. I am the resurrection and the life. There is no resurrection without me. And then he says this very interesting statement. It's a paradox in many ways because he says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, he'll live. Uh, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? In other words, he's saying, if you believe in me, though you die, you'll live. But if you believe in me, you'll never die. You'll only live. And Lazarus was about to be a living illustration of this wonderful point that Jesus is making. That his people are a people who... Because they believe, even though they die, they will live. And because they believe, even though they die, it's as if they have never died. 
I mean, you could just imagine Lazarus after he's risen from the grave. He would be known as the man who had died, but not. And, you know, obviously for the believer, for the Christian, our resurrection is different from Lazarus's. We're not raised only physically, but spiritually and physically for eternal life. Lazarus would die again. But for us, we could say it like this. Though we die, we never die. Though we die, we never die. It produces a boldness, I think, in the hearts and in the minds of God's children when we understand the power of the future resurrection of the saints. Now, when she had said this, verse 28, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, Mary rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same statement that Martha made, Mary makes. And I just sort of have the picture of two sisters mourning for the last few days, just saying, oh, if only the Lord had happened to be here. If only Jesus had happened to be here, he would have been able to keep Lazarus alive. Do you see that theme? He would have been able to keep Lazarus alive. But when Jesus saw, verse 33, her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Some of your versions mentioned that he was angry or they translated that he was greatly angered at this point and he said where have you laid him and they said to him lord come and see and in verse 35 jesus wept so the jews said see how he loved him but some of them said could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying and so jesus approaches this scene the grave of lazarus the people mourning, Mary weeping, Martha weeping, just a horrible scene. And, you know, just death and destruction and just, you know, you have to try to imagine as much as you can being the creator of the universe who had made things without sin, without flaw, without error, and seeing man fall into sin and introduced death and wrath into the world. And here you are as Jesus, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, watching death in its ugliest, seeing people weeping and mourning. And I think that's why it tells us that Jesus was angry or greatly troubled, moved in his spirit, and why he wept. He's clearly not weeping over Lazarus. In just a couple of minutes, he knows they're going to be giving high fives to one another. He's already announced to his disciples that he's glad for this illness and sickness because the Son of Man is going to be glorified through it. He knows exactly what he's about to do. He's not weeping because he misses Lazarus. He's weeping because of the damage that sin has done in this world. And notice the response of the people that were there watching. Some of them say, see how he loved him, but others say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And I think that this is so often where mankind 
is at with God. Could not Jesus have kept Lazarus from dying? We look out and we see great evil and pain and all of that, and we say, could not he have stopped all of this? Could not he have kept us from such pain? But Jesus, as he looked at that grave, understood completely that his plan for Lazarus was not just to keep Lazarus alive, just to live in this broken down, earthly state. Oh, no, Jesus' plan for Lazarus was not to keep him alive, but to resurrect him. And this is the plan of God for his people. His plan, as he looks upon us, is not to merely keep us from pain, is not to merely keep us from hurt or to keep us from death. No, his plan is to resurrect us. His plan is to raise us in glory, to, to save us from this broken and corrupt world and to bring us into newness of life. But so often with our limited perspective, we say, could not Jesus, could not God have kept me from you fill in the blank. When really his plan is to take us through all of that and deliver us uh, to a glorious resurrection with him. Now Jesus, verse 38, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, verse 39, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. She's very practical here. She knows that the body, body has begun to decay. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that, if you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And so Jesus goes to the door of the tomb, the stone is rolled away, and he begins to pray, Father, I know that you hear me, and I've always known that you hear me, but for the benefit of those who are listening and those who are gathering around, I cry out to you so that when this man comes out of the grave, all will know that you have sent me. Again, this was the great debate. Was he really divine? And just like Elijah, who had come before years previous and battled against the prophets of Baal, and as they had tried in vain to call down fire from their false God, Elijah then stood there and said, O God of Israel, at the time of the evening sacrifice, receive now this sacrifice, I pray. And as fire fell down from heaven and consumed his sacrifice and the stones of the sacrifice and the water that he had poured upon the sacrifice, and everyone then knew that God was the real and true God, so now in this moment when Lazarus comes out of the grave, and Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. When people see this event, they understand there is a God and he is in our midst. He is Jesus. And so Jesus was doing all of this to prove his wonderful glory. God bless you and amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.